0: Welcome to Momentum Church. Sometimes things hit you in different ways, you know. Sometimes the same song that you hear over and over again, for whatever reason, it just hits you a little bit different um, the next time you hear it. You know what I'm? Standing there thinking... he's always been faithful he's always been faithful you know Um, and you know you start seeing all of the times throughout life where you felt like maybe God wasn't faithful you know like you're in that moment you know and I start thinking back through all the different times where it's like I'm in the moment and God where are you you know like are you sure that you're faithful you know whenever you're in the middle of it, it it really sucks you know but then you get to the other side of it and you're looking back over the course of it you're like okay God yeah I know in the middle of it I wasn't so sure I'm I'm not sure that my faith was all there but God you were faithful even when I wasn't you know just kind of hit hit me a little bit different as I was standing there and you know obviously to God there's no coincidences and um, this morning, we're in John chapter 12, but I, I, I want to start back a little bit in, in chapter 11 uh, where Lazarus is still dead. Uh, he's in the tomb, and then Jesus shows up. You know, it's a bad day for everybody around, right? They think that it is. Uh, but then, then he shows up, Jesus does, and says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me, so that they can believe that just as faithful as I know that you are, that maybe they'll know in this moment that you're just as faithful. Verse 43, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. It's almost like he's saying, I told you so. I told you my God is good. I told you my dad is good. Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him and Jesus. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 53. So from that day on, the Pharisees planned together to kill him. And what motivates us to do the different things that we do? And what what motivates us? Because motivation matters, and that's that's what I want to look at. Jesus has a lot of good things in store for us as we do the right things in life. But our motivation for why we do the things that we do also matters. That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we look at John chapter 12. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for today, God. God, thank you that you are faithful, God. Thank you that in the midst of us feeling like maybe we don't have enough faith, God, you're still faithful. You're still faithful, Lord. And you're going to keep being faithful. God, and I pray that you remind us of that constantly, how faithful you are, God. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Faithful, faithful, faithful. I I want everybody to just say that. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Just say it again. Faithful, faithful, faithful. And God is just so faithful. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. As you sit down, turn to somebody and tell them motivation matters. Yeah, what motivated you to come to church today? What motivated you to come to church today? I don't know, maybe you were blackmailed into being here this morning. Somebody has some dirt on you and they're like, look, you either go to church with me or I send out the email, right? That's how how Stephanie convinced me to preach this morning. (laughs) Uh, Not really. All right, so that would be a bad story. All right, now I'm really derailed, and we're not three minutes into this thing, so it's ought to be interesting. Um, Yeah, motivation matters this morning, okay? As we look at John chapter 12, all right, uh, normally the way that we go about preaching is, you know, especially as we're looking at uh, pulling apart chapters. We've been going through the book of John uh, recently, that's in the New Testament, and um, we've been pulling apart the chapter, and we, we would read a section and break it apart so that you could understand it a little bit better. Here's the thing, don't, and don't you start opening your Bibles to John chapter 12 yet? You're getting ahead of me. Y'all are like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get my, some of y'all over-spiritual people. All over spiritual people Yeah, so normally we would read the, the scripture and then we would unpack it for you, but today what I want to do, because this is going to be the first time for some of you that you've ever read John chapter 12. And what I want you to do is I want you to be able to, to read this with like crazy good spiritual eyes to see what Jesus is trying to do here. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm actually going to unpack everything before we even open the suitcase. All right, so we're, we're going to take a look at all of the different things that surround John chapter 12. And then at the very end, we're actually going to look at that passage and read through it together. And hopefully, if I've done my job correctly, you're going to read this. If you've read it a million times, you're going to read it with some fresh eyes this morning. And so, what we have to understand getting into this is, like I said at the beginning, motivation matters. Okay? Motivation matters. It doesn't matter what it is. Like, your motivation for doing something can really change the outcome of how things uh, uh, happen for you. All right? I'm reminded of uh, my my oldest son, Gabriel. He's 12 years old. Uh, When he was three, um, he was potty trained. He still is potty trained. that's a good thing. Uh, And so he was three years old. And I've told you all this before. If you're new, you don't know this. My wife is an amazing cook, Uh, absolutely phenomenal cook. She made biscuits for us. It's our 16th year anniversary of July 31st. So uh, she she made biscuits for us. It's not our wedding anniversary. It's just, she just made biscuits. So it's an anniversary. (laughs) Um, She's an amazing cook, and uh, so my son Gabriel, he was three at the time, is lunchtime, and while she makes amazing food, you know, at lunchtime, it's like sandwiches, macaroni and cheese, stuff like that, you know, and uh, this time, she made macaroni and cheese for him, and we're not talking like homemade macaroni and cheese. We're talking like Annie's in a box store-bought, you know, mac and cheese, and he's eating his mac and cheese, and he gets all done, and he stands up, and he's like, hey, I need to change your clothes. We're like, "Uh, why? Did you get like macaroni and cheese on you. He's like, no, I peed my pants, which whenever your kid is potty trained uh, and you realize that they have now had an accident in their pants, like you immediately get frustrated. Or at least I do because I parent like a bank robber. Um, And so I immediately get frustrated. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Little three-year-old. You should know better. Like, why did you pee in your pants? And then he did the most adorable toddler thing because I think all toddlers are absolutely adorable, okay? Toddler phase, best phase in my opinion, unless it's your own kid and then they irritate you. And, but for everybody else, man, I love toddlers and toddlers do the cutest things. And so I said, why did you pee in your pants? And he does this, well, mommy's macaroni and cheese was so good I didn't want to stop eating it. <laughs> and it's like, all right, how can you be mad at that? Like, that is the most adorable thing that he could have said in that moment, right? No, no, the action didn't change, right? The action didn't change. It was just the motivation. It was why. We understood his motivation for why he did the thing that he did. And now that changed the whole situation. Now, I don't want you to get me, you know, mixed up here. I'm not, I'm not saying that you can go out, do bad things and with good intentions, and it's all right, okay? That's, that's certainly not what I'm saying. If you go to Leviticus chapter 4, Right, You'll see where there's an offering for unintentional sin. That means that you didn't know that you were going against God's word and doing things that were against God's word, but nonetheless, you did it, and therefore, there's an offering for it. There's a sacrifice that's paid for it. So you doing something wrong unintentionally, but with good intentions, does not mean that it's okay. Jesus died and resurrected to, to pay the price for your unintentional sin, but nonetheless, it is, it is sin, Okay, so so I don't want you thinking that we can just go around and say, well, I did it out of love, right? I, I love these people, and so everything that I'm doing is okay. No, you're still wrong. It's just we understand why you did it better, okay? And so, like, as we look at John chapter 12, there are people that they do the wrong things for what they think are good reasons. But it's still the wrong thing. And I don't want to focus on... That so much today, right? What I want to focus on is doing the right things and understanding our motivation behind the right things that we do, because motivation matters even in the right things that we do. And as we look at motivation, there's kind of this continuum uh, that we could be on whenever it comes to doing the right thing. I think the the, the absolute best place that we could find ourselves is. In this place of passion, we are absolutely passionate about doing whatever the thing is that we 're doing that 's the right thing. Um, so, for instance, I, I, two weeks ago, we had VBS here. Um, for those of you that don 't know vacation Bible school, it was incredible time, and I had no idea what was going on because whenever it comes to Adelie running children 's ministry, she 's like, "Get away from me, let me do my thing." And, Not really. She's way too nice to say that, but I just interpret that, and I'm like, you're good at what you do. You just go and do it, okay? I don't like kids, so go, all right? So she does this, and I I have started taking time every week um, to to pray more, because I feel like that's an area in my life where I'm like, you know what? I don't pray nearly enough, and I need to discipline myself to figure out how to pray for longer periods of time without going to sleep. Um, And so I decide I'm, I'm going to start praying an hour extra a week, like a dedicated hour. I schedule it in my, in my week, and so now that's what I do. And, man, the most incredible stuff has just come out of that prayer time that I don't expect to come out. And the, the week of VBS, uh, it's the first night of VBS. I'm praying before it, and I have no idea what she's planning on. And I just start praying, and out, out of my mouth, I just pray this prayer. I say, Lord, I, I, in Jesus' name, I want you to match my children's generosity— with your prosperity. I'm going to say it again. I want you to match my children's generosity with your prosperity. Now this is not a prosperity church where it's like you give the pastor money and then you get your blessing. Like that's not what that's not what we do. But we do believe though um, based off of what we see in Scripture, that it's just kind of a law of, of God. It's like the law of gravity, right? If I, if I let go of something, it's going to fall. Like, I don't have to try to make it fall. It will fall, because that's how gravity works. Same thing with God. As we give money to partner with God, He gives back. It's just It's just the way that it works. Now, once again, you could have bad motivation in that, which is not what we want. But So for my kids, we come home from VBS that night, and they have these little barrels that they've been given because they want to raise the 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 children's ministry wants to raise money for missionaries in Ecuador. So they bring these little containers back that they're supposed to fill up over the course of three days. And my daughter comes out first um, of her bedroom, and she has she has her wallet, and she reaches in her wallet, pulls out all of her money, and that makes me a little nervous, and because she's been saving for a while, and I'm like how much are you giving, sweetheart? And she's like, all oh, of it, and she's just shoving it. I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Like, you've been saving up for a little while, and I'm not spiritual right now, <laughs> right? I, these, I'm just being honest. Like, that, those are the first thoughts that went through my head. Right? She's been saving for some stuff for a while. Now, keep in mind, like, we don't give our kids a lot of money, you know, and they have to earn, like, you know, uh, based off of 20 years ago inflation. And so she has been saving for a little while and like she's got $27 and she, j- and it's all in ones because she feels like it's more money that way. And so she's like shoving it in and I'm like, okay, like, all right, you're doing the good work. And why are you giving all of that? She's like, well, because the missionaries need it. I was like, oh, dang it. She's passionate about this. And then my, my youngest son, Malachi, comes out of his room with his wallet and he reaches in and I was like, okay, how much are you giving, buddy? And He's like, all of it. And he's shoving his in the, in the barrel. And I was like, bro, like, I, dude, I know what you're saving for and you need a lot more than this and I can't pay for it. So I need you to keep saving. Like, these are the thoughts that are going through my head. And, and, and so I ask him because he is equally as competitive as I am. And they've got this little challenge going on, this competition for giving between the small groups. Whoever gives the most gets to slime Pastor Adelie. And I, so I asked him, I was like, so are you giving because of the competition? He's like, no, the missionaries need money. And I'm like, dang you, spiritual kids. You're so right. Now, let me tell you something. It's, it's pretty incredible what God can do with $27 and $19, because over the course of 3 days that $27 turned to $83. That $19 turned to $62. That that room full of kids turned into over $900 given to missionaries in Ecuador. Why? Because like I don't know like they just have such passion. And I think it might be because my wife has gone on several missions trips, you know, since they were babies, like maybe that was instilled in them. And so, like, we all have different things that we are just passionate about whenever it comes to doing the right thing. We all have something that that we're passionate about. For them, it was giving. And they watched as God multiplied it. And can I tell you that that they gave because they understood the principle that I prayed. Like, I didn't pray this around them. They just understood it. That they don't have to worry. Whenever they partner with God, like, God's going to take care of them. Their wants, their needs, God's got it. He's going to give it back to them, no problem. And the very next morning, go to Proverbs chapter 11. Very next morning, um, I read this. So sometimes I read, you know, straight through a book in the Bible. Sometimes, a lot of times I end up just kind of bouncing around and just seeing whatever the Lord wants to do that day. Um, and this morning, that, it was the very next morning. Keep in mind, I had totally forgotten about my prayer. Um, absolutely forgotten about it. Uh, And so the next morning I open up, I go to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. And it says, watch this, this is stupid. (laughs) The generous man will be prosperous. First line I read. I prayed that, didn't I? Right? I just thought it was so cool. The generous man will be prosperous. Wow, That mess is crazy, but you know what? On the motivation scale to do the right thing, My children in that moment are just passionate about doing the right thing. It benefited them nothing other than the fact that they knew they were going to be responsible for helping take care of missionaries in Ecuador. And you know what? Like on an emotional scale, I'm sure at some point a physical scale, the spiritual scale, they are going to reap max benefits in the area of generosity. Because their motivation was in the right place. They were at max passion to do the right thing. This is where we want to be whenever it comes to doing the right thing, the things that Jesus would want us to do. Now, there's also another place of motivation. Um, And this is just doing the right thing because simply it's the right thing to do. And there's nothing wrong with this. Lots of benefits to doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do, right? I mean, okay, let's just not be spiritual for a second. Anybody go to the gym this week when you didn't want to or go running? Uh, no. Everybody down on the ground. Uh, all right, that was, that was me then. All right. Friday, I woke up and I was like, uh-uh, no, let's hit snooze on the alarm. But I decided, you know what, I'm going to go work out anyway, even though I don't want to. And um, it wasn't my best workout. It's not like if I'd taken some C4, you know, pre-workout, bringing it into the passion, turn on all of the motivational tapes. Nope, tapes aren't a thing. YouTube. That's right. I can be in 2022. I didn't get the same level of benefit as if I showed up with my pre-workout ready to go for the morning, jumping out of bed. But you know what? I did do it, and I got some kind of benefits out of it, All right? Okay, so working out, clearly not y'all's thing. Going to Cracker Barrel and eating with the elderly. Man, I can't tell you. Like, I love Cracker Barrel and eating at 4.30. It, it's awesome. Like, I'm... so. You, maybe this was you, okay? Like, you are starving. You're ready to get to Cracker Barrel, and you, like, power walk right past the elderly couple, and you get to the door, and you're going in, and then you have this moment where you're like, uh, the right thing to do is to stand here and hold this door and let these people go first, because I did pass them on the way in. This is not my life, by the way. <laughs> so you stand there, you hold the door, you let them go in. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. That's Why? I'm not passionate about letting people eat before me, but it's the right thing for me to do. So I stand there and I hold the door respectfully for the people that I passed on the way in because I'm competitive, (laughs) right? Uh, For you, maybe it's you pull up to the stoplight, right? You see the homeless person, the person that's on hard time, standing there holding the the sign, says, hey, I need money. And you look the other way because you think that they can't see you. They're like a T-Rex. If you don't move, they won't (laughs) see you. Come on, you've done it. You've done it. Right? But then you have the moment of realization. You're like, I never carry cash on me. Just so happens I have a couple of dollars in my wallet. God would probably want me to give money because it's the right thing to do. And so you give them the money. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. You know what? In all of those scenarios, benefits happen. And we can see in Proverbs, if you go back to Proverbs, I think it's uh, chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs talks about this a lot. Just do what you're supposed to do, right? Like, don't overcomplicate this. Don't over-spiritualize it. Just do what you're supposed to do because you know to do it. Even if you don't want to do it, just do it. I'm going to start, chapter 10, verse 3 is where I'm going to start, and I'm going to go through verse 5. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent, and of the person that's just going to do it, just make it happen, makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest, a person who doesn't do what they're supposed to do, is a son who acts shamefully. Right? There's something to be said for, um, you know what, I'm not overly passionate about it, but it's the right thing for me to do. And I came to a, a pastor several years ago, um, and I was like, man, I just don't want to read my Bible. Like, it's just not, it's not fun to me. I don't enjoy the process of reading my Bible. Um, and he's like, well, you need to read it anyway. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not passionate about reading my Bible. And he's like, well, I'm going to give you three words that are going to change your life forever. And they actually have. I'm going to give those three words to you today. Discipline develops desire. Discipline develops desire. It means what you choose to do consistently, even when you don't want to, will over time turn into a desire to do those things. So, even though I don't necessarily want to read my Bible every day, the sheer fact that I choose to because it's the right thing to do over and over and over again, eventually it develops into a desire of mine, into a passion of mine, to where now I just really want to understand not just the Bible, but what God is trying to say to me through the Bible. Discipline develops desire. So in these two categories of motivation when doing the right thing, there are benefits that can definitely be had. Okay. But there's a third category that, uh, let's go to James chapter three, a third category, James chapter three, that's in the New Testament. James chapter three, I'm gonna start out here um, and uh, we'll, we'll just kind of work through this together. James chapter three, verse 13 is where I'm starting Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, what we're doing. Do the right thing in his gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. What it's saying here, right? You can do the right thing, but with the wrong motivation, right? Jealousy, selfish ambition, you put that into your life and that's how you're making your decisions as to what you're going to do? Well, guess what? You might be looking like you're doing the right thing, but you're doing it with the wrong heart. And therefore, what scripture would call you is a hypocrite. Verse 15, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural. I want you to hear that. You're like, dang it, I know that that's me. I know I'm doing this thing right now. It's the right thing to do, wrong motivation. I'm doing it for jealousy, selfish ambition. Look what it says. It says it's natural. Look, I, 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 we get it. It's natural. But can I also tell you that sometimes just because it's natural don't mean it's good? Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's right. Check out this last word. Ugh. It says, earthly, natural, demonic. That's intense. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Let's jump up to chapter four. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? What's the source of the things going wrong? Things shouldn't be going wrong right now. It looks like you're doing right things, but things are not going right. How does that work? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now these pleasures, right? So God, like some people think that God wants you to have a miserable life. That's not accurate. He's created things for, for your pleasure, okay? But in this specific passage, he's not talking about those things. He's talking about evil pleasures, okay? Evil pleasures is what he's talking about. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Let's skip down to verse 7. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Look, there's this war that happens. All right? There's this war that happens um, between life and death. And, and there's a war within us, right? The, 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 the things of the world, the, the things of Satan, the things that, like, you know, and we don't like to call it Satan, right? Because, like, that just sounds super spiritual and, like, overly bad. And it's like, look, I just had one too many drinks. Is it, can we really call that Satan? Well, yeah, we can. Can we call that demonic? Well, yeah, we can, right? I'm not saying that you are a demon. I'm not saying you are Satan. I'm just saying that whenever you're not doing the things that Jesus would want you to do, well, you're doing the things that somebody else wants you to do. And and they might be little things, but little things over time, the little discipline will develop your desire. If you discipline yourself to do evil, you'll desire evil. Even in the little things, if you discipline yourself to do the things that God would want you to do, you'll develop a desire for those things. And we see here in James chapter three, where you could be doing the right thing, but with the wrong motivation. Something of jealousy and selfish ambition. I'll tell you, for me, um, this happened, I was a sales manager for a lead generation team um, in a heating and air company. And this, this team was pretty bad whenever I took over. I had no idea what I was doing. God blessed me with some good mentors and uh, stuff like that. And so I was over the west side of Atlanta, and we started doing much better. Praise God. So much so that uh, the guy over the east side of Atlanta quit, and I got to take over all of Atlanta for that sales generation team. And as I got over there, that was the main branch for, uh, uh, for Georgia, As I got over there, I realized that all of the people over there in that office were crazy. (laughs) They were lazy, and they were liars. Like they manipulated hundreds of thousands of dollars of reports in order for them to get bigger bonuses, but the sales weren't actually there. And somehow, nobody at corporate knew this. So you know what I did in all of my selfish ambition? I was like, all of you idiots deserve to get fired. I know the reports that you're turning in are not legit. I'm going to print out the real reports and give them to corporate. And so I did just that. And you know what's crazy is, is they had manipulated their sales numbers so much for so many years that corporate assumed I was lying And then they went and told everybody in the office that I was trying to get all of them fired. That was a good day. (laughs) So now I have a company where everybody hates me. I have no chance of getting promoted at this point. And I mean, can we be honest though? Like people that manipulate hundreds of thousands of dollars in fake sales, they should be fired. Do we agree with that? Like, I I really thought this was the right thing, but you know what was wrong? My motivation. See, what I could have done was I could have had the right motivation to do the right thing, and it would have turned out a whole lot different. And in fact, thankfully, and and the the hope-filled part of this for you, if you were in a similar situation where you're doing the right thing but with the wrong motivation, number one, please stop, okay? So that you don't end up like I did. But... What I decided to do was, all right, I can't control all these other people. And certainly with selfish ambition, my own selfish motives, I cannot put myself ahead. This is not going to work. So at this point, what I'm going to do is I am simply going to do my job exactly right. Everything in my job will be 100% right because I know that their numbers are still going to be wrong and they're not going to match up but I'm gonna do everything right on my end. And so I started documenting every single thing that we did and I documented all of the reports and where anybody could find them so that at any time anybody could come behind me and know exactly what I did and how I came to the numbers that I came to. We rose to number one in the company in the entire nation. We rose to number one in the company and yet we had not the number of sales that we were supposed to have, surprise, surprise. Corporate, once again, assumed I was lying so because of my track record, so I handed them all of my documentation. They went through and realized, hey, you know this office is filled with liars? I'm like, no. (laughs) Amazing how suddenly I just wanted to do the right thing the right way. And whenever I did the right thing just the right way because it was the right thing to do, magically the result that I was hoping would happen actually happened. But the only thing that changed really was my motivation. I got rid of selfish ambition. I got rid of jealousy. And you have that opportunity as well to to sort of recenter and refocus, if you will, your attention. As we look at John chapter 12, this is a critical Thing For you to understand, understanding the different motivations behind the people that you're going to read about is absolutely critical because what you're going to see, you have to, to, okay, so John is pretty cool, right? He's been teaching about Jesus for a very long time, decades before he wrote this book, okay? And he didn't write this book to be a history teacher, okay? He he did not. It wasn't like, you know, eighth graders in Georgia are really going to need to know about Jesus and the, the people that he met, like, that's not why he wrote this. He wrote John, the the book of John, the gospel according to John, because he's like, look, I understand that as Jesus was a teacher, Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't just meet different people at random times. There were no coincidental conversations. Every single aspect of Jesus's life, every encounter that Jesus had with somebody was a learning lesson for them and for everybody around them and for everybody that would read the story about them. Everything was a learning lesson for Jesus. Every single aspect of his life. And that's what John wanted you to understand. He's like, look, 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 I'm not writing a history book. I'm writing so that you can understand how does Jesus want you to live? These different encounters that Jesus had were not by coincidence. They were so that you could learn and understand how Jesus would want you to live if he was standing right next to you telling you what to do. And so it starts, right? And it starts in chapter 11. And keep in mind, uh, all of the books of the Bible were not written with chapters and verses. They were written as just one long letter. And then we chaptered and versed them so that we could have easy reference, okay? But it starts in chapter 11 with with the death of Lazarus. And and, and what you're gonna see as we look at this is this grand picture in John 12 of life and death. Life and death and death. It's this pendulum that swings back and forth. It's this beautiful picture of life and death going back and forth, back and forth. We see where, as, as we start in, in uh, uh, John 11, Lazarus is dying, and like everybody around is freaking out, and Jesus is like, I don't, I can't make it there, not because I can't physically get there, but because he needs to die. I need that part of him to die. I need his first life to die so that I can resurrect him and I can bring him back to life to a second life. I need that life to live because his first life is not gonna lead people to me, but his second life will. It's this this life that he had moving to death back to life, and it's because of his second life, guess what, that that the world order, the satanic things of this earth, the earthly, the natural, the demonic, want to take that new life and pull it back to death. It's this war that's waging inside of us between life and death, and Jesus is saying, there are some things in your life that I need to resurrect to life. There are some things in this life that need to die, and the world order says those things that Jesus wants alive, we want to kill. The things that he wants dead, we want to stay alive. It's a war that wages back and forth life and death. And you see it all throughout. And it, all of the life and death, death pendulum, it all hinges on the motivation of all the people that are interacting with Jesus throughout John 12. It hinges on their motivation. And so as a result, the Pharisees, they think that they're doing the right thing, but they have the wrong motivation. And they're not doing the right thing, but they think they are. The wrong motivation. So they find Lazarus partnered with the natural, the earthly, the demonic, and the Pharisees want to kill Lazarus. They want to bring the life that Jesus has has brought back to life, and they want to kill that because of their motivation we see we see where mary has this this jar of perfume that she breaks open in this beautiful passionate moment of saying i just i I want to bless god i want to bless the messiah so much that i'm going to give him everything i have i'm just going to fill it full of everything that i've got she breaks this open in this moment of passion for Jesus. The moment of passion for her Messiah. It's this beautiful act of life. Knowing he's going to be put to death. And in this moment of passion, uh, this, this motivation of passion to follow him. We see where Judas Iscariot, he comes along and, and, and he's claiming to do the right thing. He wants to give to the poor. That's claiming to do the right thing. We should give to the poor. That's the wrong motivation. And so he tries to bring her moment of life. He tries to bring to death. And Jesus calls him out on his motivation. You see where Jesus enters in to the city, and everybody starts crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. The motivation of them wanting their Messiah, their Savior. But Jesus says, I need you to understand something. I know what you're trying to do is good. And you want this life, but just like Lazarus, my first life has to die so that at the second, You can all be blessed, and people will come to know the Messiah of the world, the one who comes to take away sins, the one who comes to bring you into eternal life. It's life and death and life and death. It's a beautiful picture. And that's what John wants us to see in John chapter 12. Let's open up to John chapter 12 now. With that new understanding, I just want to read about half of this chapter to you. Remember it all started in in chapter 11 with Lazarus being brought back from the dead. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. If you see a capital H for him or he, it's talking about Jesus. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? I said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there and they came not for Jesus sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel! Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're not doing any good. They're talking to each other here. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I'm going to stop there. There's this beautiful movement of back and forth, life and death, that John desperately wants us to understand There are things in this life that Jesus wants you to bring to life, that Jesus wants to bring to life in you. There are things in this life that Jesus wants you to kill off. Lust, greed, selfish ambition, jealousy, lying, deceit. but also understand this life and death pendulum is also working for the enemy. And there are things that Jesus wants alive that the enemy wants to kill off. He does not want you moving in prayer. He does not want you moving in reading your Bible. He does not want you moving in compassion. He does not want you moving in joy or gentleness. He doesn't want you moving in faithfulness or self-control. He doesn't want you to move in the idea of keeping your mouth shut at the right time. He wants those things to die off. And there will always be this war as long as we are on this earth going back and forth between life and death, the things that Jesus wants alive and the things that the enemy wants to kill. And you have to ask yourself... What is it in my life that should be alive, like prayer and reading my Bible and, and taking care of people and, and caring for the homeless and whatever else it is? What are the things that I should be doing right in the right way with the right motivation, even if I'm not passionate, but with the right motivation? Those things need to be brought to life. And don't let the enemy kill you with distraction. Don't let the enemy take those things away from you because doing right is always going to trump the evil of this world. Doing the right thing the right way. But you got to let Jesus in to help you out in the process. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord. God, I thank you for the things in my life that you have intentionally killed off, God. I thank you for the evil in my life that you have killed off, God. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the evil in this life that that these people in front of me have killed off. In Jesus' name, and I command in Jesus' name for them to not come back to life. God, I pray in Jesus' name, I release a, a, a blessing, God, on these people that they don't have to resurrect dead things in their life that need to remain dead. God, I pray in Jesus' name, we do not give the enemy a foothold in our life. We don't give him a little bit of access back in to the things that you would have us walk in, God. God, don't let him kill stuff off, God. God, I pray for a plentiful harvest, Lord. God, I pray for for us to be able to, to find and redirect our motivation, Lord, into the right things, God. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, for all the people that are sitting here trying to do the right thing but with the wrong motivation, God. I pray right now in Jesus' name that they would repent, that they would say, sorry, God, I I, I shouldn't be doing it like this, God. And that they move over into doing the right thing for the right reasons, God. And that, Lord, in Jesus' name, God, develop those right things, those right motivations into a, a motivation of pure Unadulterated passion for you, God. Bless these people, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.